my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 523. Welcome in. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I want to just send a message out there to people. I know for a lot of people, the holidays and spending time with their family is awesome and positive. Uh, But I also know that there are people out there who Thanksgiving and Christmas can be a really difficult and complicated time of year when your family isn't great. And so I just want to, to those people out there who probably spent all day watching football, avoiding their family, um, I I care about you guys. I I hope you're doing well. I I know what that's like and how hard it is, and I am rooting for you people out there. Um, and, And remember, when you talk about Thanksgiving and you talk about Christmas... It's actually not positive for everybody, so um, keep that in mind. Let's jump in. Um, but those of you who did spend time with their family, and it was awesome, I, I really hope it was good for you guys, too. Uh, on Thanksgiving, the Vikings beat the Patriots 33-26. to It was a really good win for Minnesota. I would say um, the exciting story here is that first-year head coach Kevin O'Connell just beat Bill Belichick and the legendary New England Patriots. And it's pretty cool, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, he was drafted in the third round of 2008 by Bill Belichick and the Patriots to be one of Tom Brady's backups. So it's kind of a crazy full circle moment for Kevin O'Connell, a guy who's already had way more success now as NFL coach than he ever had as an NFL player. By the way, the Vikings are now nine and two. It's them or Philly who's probably going to be the number one seed in the NFC. I think Dallas is in the mix somewhere, too. But I want to start by talking about Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins. Kirk had a really good game. He was 30 for 37 passing, 299 yards, three touchdown passes, did have an interception. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, But number one, you know, Kirk got a win in a primetime moment. I'm very happy for him there. It's pretty cool. There's been a long-running narrative. I've talked about it a lot, how he tends to struggle in big moments. His record on Monday Night Football is terrible. And some of that was he played for years and, you know, Washington on a terrible team, but also I think Kirk has had a history of tensing up and not handling stressful situations very well. I would imagine that wasn't helped by having a head coach, Mike Zimmer, who didn't appear to really believe in him. And now having Kevin O'Connell as his head coach, a former quarterback who played in the NFL, who relates very well to Kirk, he's more comfortable and more himself. And we're seeing the best version of Kirk Cousins as a leader and as a character. Like he's He's calm. He's comfortable. You see him wearing the chain and celebrating, and his personality is really coming through, and it's it's exciting to me to see. Um, you know, Kirk made a lot of really great throws in this football game. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and TJ Hawkinson all had a touchdown catch. Justin Jefferson, in particular, had a really good game. Nine catches with 139 yards and a touchdown. And, and Justin Jefferson, man, made a lot of just really Really impressive, big-time catches downfield. I was blown away. I was like, man, I I can't believe what's going on. And I want to say this. I've watched Kirk Cousins now almost every game he's played in this year. I mean, I've I've watched every game to some degree, but I've, like, really, like, sat down and dove into every game. And it's kind of um, basic or straightforward, but there's a really straightforward key to Kirk Cousins' game. When Kirk Cousins has a clean pocket and time to throw, he's dangerous. He can beat you. Like, he, he plays really, really well. But uh, when you hit Kirk and you make him uncomfortable in the pocket, 
he tends to make mistakes. It's really simple, actually. You get pressure on Kirk, he struggles. You don't, he'll shred you. And I know that's very, very simple, but it's crazy to me. Like, he's almost two different quarterbacks when he's under pressure compared to when he's got a clean pocket and time to throw. You know, Kirk, untouched, compared to Kirk with pressure in his face, it's crazy. Like, you got blown up by Dallas a couple weeks, you know, last week, and Kirk was under constant pressure and really struggled and when Kirk makes mistakes, it's because you get pressure in his face and you're forcing him to get rid of the ball early and you're making him uncomfortable in the pocket. It messes with his footwork. He had an interception against the Patriots where New England got pressure on Kirk, made him uncomfortable. The ball went high. They picked him off. That led to a Patriots field goal. And as I look around at the NFC, you see three big contenders, Philadelphia, Minnesota, and Dallas. It, it just feels inevitable that Minnesota at some point is going to run into Philly or Dallas in the playoffs. And both of those teams, Philly and Dallas, have a really good defensive line. Top three in sacks. And when the key to beating Kirk Cousins is getting pressure on him and hitting him and making him uncomfortable in the pocket, that's a really interesting wrinkle for later in the year because I think it's going to come up and really matter, like in the NFC title game, potentially. Now, the number two team in sacks, by the way, is New England. He just beat them. So it's not like guaranteed if you're a team that normally gets pressure, you're going to beat Kirk Cousins. But I, I would say that the Patriots didn't get enough pressure on Kirk. They allowed him too much time. He beat them. But I've seen this consistent trend now. When you get pressure on Kirk Cousins, he really does just, he's a different quarterback. He struggles with accuracy. He makes rush decisions. He'll force throws into coverage. But if you let Kirk be comfortable... He will beat you, and and it'll be, you know, what we saw last night. Uh, now, we got to talk about a controversial play. Hunter Henry caught a touchdown pass, and then I got reviewed and was ruled an incomplete pass. And, oh, man, I don't want to complain about NFL refs because it just, you know, um, NFL refs are inconsistent, and that's part of the game. And the Patriots had 60 minutes to take advantage of every opportunity they had to win that football game. But I will say NFL refs confused me. And I thought that was a touchdown catch to me for Hunter Henry. And I've, I've given up on trying to understand. I don't want to complain here. In fact, what I want to say is I think anyone who's a Patriots fan who's blaming the refs for their loss on Thanksgiving is kind of, I think that's playing the victim actually. And it doesn't work for me. You got to take responsibility for the ways you came up short. I just, anytime you point the finger at the ref, I go, yeah, but this and that and this, and there were all these opportunities you had to win you didn't take advantage of. Last week against the Jets, the Patriots won basically because of their special teams. You got a punt return touchdown at the end of the game for a win. In contrast, this week you could argue that the Patriots lost because of special teams. They had two really bad special teams plays that hurt them. Uh, they gave up a 97-yard kickoff return for a touchdown in Minnesota. And then later in the game, the Patriots actually stopped Minnesota. And the Vikings punted on fourth and three. And then there was a big mistake. The Patriots ran into the Vikings punter. That extended the drive. Minnesota went on to score a touchdown. That's 14 points that were made possible by special teams mistakes on the side of New England. You know, you give up a long punt return. You give up that running into the kicker penalty. I think that's the kind of stuff that's the reason why you can't blame the refs. You can blame refs if you want, if you're a Patriots fan. But you also have to acknowledge the moments where 
they missed opportunities and weren't good enough. And definitely there were a lot of moments like that. Uh, now, let's talk about Patriots quarterback Mac Jones because I walked away from this game feeling really encouraged about Mac Jones. He was 28 for 39 passing. He had 382 yards with two touchdowns, no turnovers. Um, you know, Mac Jones made some really, really good throws. And the Patriots have been developing this new offense all year. It's been flexing and growing. And there's been high points and low points. And part of why Bailey Zappi came in to play for the Patriots and played really well was because they ran stuff they were comfortable with and didn't try to push the offense to evolve it any further. You've seen Mac kind of struggle this year because they're trying new stuff and different stuff. And I think this is one of the first times all year where I saw Mac Jones really finally look comfortable and play very well um, it, with those changes they've been making and them trying to stretch the field and throw down field more. Mac was making big time throws, moving defenders with his eyes. And I'm just, I want to put this out there. I'm curious if we can see Mac Jones play like he did on Thanksgiving the rest of the year where he is doing high level stuff and moving defenders and looking off safeties and vertically attacking downfield rather than just dinking and dunking underneath. And I, I think it's kind of cool. We saw Devonte Parker have a really good game, make a couple big catches downfield. And that leads me to a question from Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler's where you can write into the show. Raphael writes, and let me make sure I open it. Raphael says, Hey Zach, it's my first time in a long time asking a question here again. And first of all, keep up the great work. Thank you, Raphael. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I appreciate you tremendously. Um, I just got a text that really threw me off. Like someone texted me, call me immediately. I'm like, sorry, I'm, I'm recording a podcast right now, later. Uh, now, Raphael says, you often mention that if you could choose a quarterback to work with and win in the NFL, you would take the most athletically gifted quarterback who could also be a non-first rounder, by the way, and teach him the intricacies of the position. That would be your way to a franchise quarterback. And Raphael says, I tend to disagree with this, with that for this reason. A quarterback like Josh Allen or Justin Fields, etc., may be intriguing and at times kind of a cheat code to have. But the risk of these quarterbacks injuring themselves due to their style of play is immensely higher. And in the long run, you could hurt your franchise. The best example for that is Cam Newton. 2015, Cam Newton was an alien. But apparently... It was unsustainable. Josh Allen now seems more durable, although small cracks are now visible. He's got an elbow injury, UCL injury. In my opinion, getting a franchise quarterback along the lines of Matt Ryan or Kirk Cousins or even Drew Brees and Tom Brady. By the way, to, to throw Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, and Kirk Cousins all in the same sentence feels a little bit disrespectful to Brady and Brees. Um, <laughs> but I think I know what you mean. You mean a less mobile quarterback. That seems more sustainable. And finding great receivers and a decent offensive line appears to be easier than hitting on the next cheat code at quarterback. The only exception is Patrick Mahomes, according to Raphael. But in my opinion, Patrick Mahomes plays different than Josh Allen at Justin Fields or Justin Hurts because, or, or Jalen Hurts, excuse me, Jalen Hurts, because he's not constantly putting linebackers on posters and therefore not eating all the hits. Have a great day. All the best from Switzerland. Raphael from Switzerland? That's wild. You love American football. You're writing into the show on Patreon. I think that's very cool. Raphael, thank you for writing in. So where you see mobility as a great risk at quarterback, I, I would actually push back against you. Here's a maybe, a maybe I'm cherry picking a great example here. But if you directly compare Mac Jones and Justin Fields to each other this year, um, 
Justin Fields has played in every single game this year. Mac Jones got hurt. He had a high ankle sprain. He missed four games earlier this year. I mean, I do agree with you that mobility makes you more likely to get hurt, but it's not like if you don't run around and make plays, you're you're also not going to get hurt. And I would say again, Mac Jones, a guy who's you know widely known for not being mobile, has missed four games this year due to an ankle injury. Uh, so your premise that you'd rather have a quarterback who can't run around and is less likely to get hurt uh, because they take fewer hits, I, I hear where you're coming from. Um, and it's worth admitting that Justin Fields is questionable this week with a shoulder injury. He's got, I think, a torn labrum, his non-throwing shoulder. He may not play. But that being said, even if he doesn't play this week, you know, it'll be three more games as your Mac Jones has missed than Justin Fields. So I think there's a, a faulty premise there initially. But I hear you about Cam Newton. Cam Newton um, was a guy I was excited about, but he just never, he never evolved enough. And later on in his career, his body broke down and he wasn't the same. And we're going to see, as Lamar Jackson gets older, as Josh Allen gets older, the NFL has changed a lot, and mobile quarterbacks are the way of the future, it appears. But how long can their careers go on? And we've seen Tom Brady play for years and years and two decades now. You're saying mobility can be a limiting factor to career length, and that's very possible. I agree with you, Raphael. You're right. Maybe a career for Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson is shorter than a quarterback like Matt Ryan or Mac Jones. However, though, here's why I would rather have a mobile quarterback. Against Minnesota, the Patriots could not score in the fourth quarter. They had back-to-back three and outs, and they had pressure that ruined one drive. Then on the next drive, Hunter Henry got tangled up with the defender, messed up the timing. Mac Jones had to get rid of the ball and throw the ball. It was an incomplete pass. They had to punt. In those fourth-quarter drives, it's very possible that Josh Allen or Justin Fields could have made a play there. Mac Jones is not a guy who can make plays by himself. I have watched Josh Allen and Justin Fields this year turn bad plays into really big gains where they're just playmakers. Like, you don't need to block perfectly for them. You can have things go wrong, and they can overcome it and still get a touchdown. I saw... Early on Thursday, on Thanksgiving, I watched Josh Allen have a snap on the goal line, go on the ground, get fumbled. He picked it up and ran for a touchdown where he made a linebacker miss, wasn't touched, and scored a touchdown. And that's just not a play Mac Jones can ever make. If the timing is screwed up or something goes wrong for Mac Jones, it's a dead play. That's a sack or a throwaway, not a touchdown. And... I I just think having a playmaker is way more attractive at quarterback than a quarterback like Mac Jones, who doesn't have the athletic ability to turn a bad play into a good one. And Mac Jones needs more help to win. I'm just, I'm going to double down on a mobile quarterback because I would rather have a dynamic playmaker who can make things right, even if there's not a perfect play call or if there's a busted play. I just think a mobile quarterback is capable of more. It's a really fun conversation, Raphael, and I appreciate having it. Uh, But in my opinion, a mobile quarterback is the way of the future. They're just capable of more. You know, again, um, smart quarterbacks don't get touched. Like you, you talk about they take more hits, and some of them do. But Justin Fields slides and gets down and doesn't take a lot of hits. You know, another quarterback who's been hurt a lot, who's not a mobile quarterback is Tua Tungavaloa, Miami's quarterback. He's taken hits. He's been injured in college. He has missed time because of concussions. 
I would actually argue with you that Tua, the quarterback in Miami, who's not a quarterback who runs for 100 yards and is very mobile, I think Tua takes more big hits than Justin Fields because Justin Fields is smarter about when he gets down and he slides and avoiding hits. And Justin Fields simply does a better job protecting himself than Tua Tungavaloa does. So um, I, I hear you and I like the conversation, Raphael. But you're talking about is mobility unhelpful? I would say not at all. In fact, if anything, I would double and triple down on the fact that I really, really desperately would like to have a mobile quarterback if I could control it. And some of that stuff in the fourth quarter against Minnesota, Josh Allen or Justin Fields, when things weren't going right or there's pressure or a receiver falls down, he might run around and extend a play and make something happen where Mac Jones doesn't have the ability to do that. By the way, uh, you know what Super Bowl I want? I really want to see the Vikings against Minnesota. Sorry, that's sorry. The Vikings, I Minnesota. The Vikings against Miami. Excuse me, Freudian slip there. I think about the really interesting contrast in comparison and even similarities between Minnesota and Miami, where you've got two first-year head coaches, Mike McDaniel and Kevin O'Connell, a ton of great receivers, Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Waddle. Fun offenses that are going to score a lot of points. I would kill to see a, a Super Bowl between the Vikings and the Dolphins. It would be a lot of fun. You'd have two quarterbacks who've overcome a lot of doubts in their career, Kirk Cousins and Tua. I just want to throw this out there. And it's one of those things I'm saying now because it'd be really fun if I if it does happen, we can look back to this moment and be like, oh, yes, I can talk about that. Miami against Minnesota would be a really, really fun Super Bowl. And uh, I don't know that we're going to get that. I worry that Minnesota is going to have problems on their way to a Super Bowl and lose to, you know, Dallas, Philly, even the 49ers who've got a really good defensive line. And I've talked about when you put pressure on Kirk Cousins, he gets uncomfortable and is not the same quarterback. And then a team like Miami, is Tua going to stay healthy? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. And can Tua actually go head-to-head and beat, you know, a... Uh, Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I don't know that either. But I, I'll tell you what, if we get Miami against Minnesota in the Super Bowl, it's in Phoenix this year, that would be a really fun game with a lot of interesting storylines and probably the two coaches that are the favorites right now for Coach of the Year, Kevin O'Connell and Mike McDaniel. And Miami, Minnesota would be a wonderful, entertaining Super Bowl. All right. Um, let's talk about Another Thanksgiving game. Give me one second. I'm going to respond to a text. I got a phone call. This person's blowing up my phone. So I want to just see what's what's happening here. Give me one second. This person was blowing up my phone. And I'm like, oh, no, did someone die? What's happening? No, no, no. They were, <laughs> they got concert tickets really cheap. And we're like, you want to go with me? And I'm like, dude, that that's not a great reason to blow up someone's phone. I don't think. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm working here, right? Like, I can't even do that accent. But uh, anyway. On Thanksgiving, the Dallas Cowboys beat the Giants 28-20. to The Cowboys offense had a really slow start. It was very concerning, actually, the first half of this game because Dak in the first half had two interceptions, and at halftime, Dallas was losing 13-7. to And when you consider the fact that the Giants had a bunch of injuries in their secondary, I was sitting there at halftime going, like, this is bad. This is a really inconsistent Dallas football team that was amazing last week, but two weeks ago... Lost to Green Bay. It was kind of shameful. And the question at halftime was, can the Cowboys fix things in the second half? And in fact, yes, they did. Uh, Dallas opened the second half with three touchdown drives in a row. 
Could have been four scoring drives, but they missed a field goal. Uh, now, the Giants got a touchdown in garbage time. They made it 28-20 to 20 with eight seconds left to make it an eight-point game. But it wasn't close. Like, Dallas really pulled away in the second half of this football game. And I've got a lot of little takeaways here I want to break down. Number one, the key turning point in this football game, in my opinion, was a fourth and one for the Giants on their own 44-yard line. And Daniel Jones had Saquon Barkley open in the flat on the right side of the field. And he threw a bad ball. It probably could have been caught, but it was behind him. Wasn't a great throw. Saquon couldn't catch it. Wasn't an accurate throw. I think it's poor execution all around. By the way, there were only 10 guys on the field, which makes it even worse. And it's a frustrating moment because it's the little things that are killing Daniel Jones. He is a good athlete. There's clearly potential there. But these little problems every week seem to be holding him back in certain moments. And he's been so good sometimes and so bad sometimes. And I, you know, I don't have a strong feeling either way about Daniel Jones because the Giants are a decent football team. They're going to have too good of a record, really, to have a high draft pick and really get a good enough quarterback to effectively replace Daniel Jones. So he's probably their quarterback next year as well. But the fact that I'm so in the middle of the road when it comes to Daniel Jones, I just am apathetic. I don't have a strong feeling either direction. That's a problem. I, I wish I was all in on Daniel Jones. I wish he'd been so good. I'd be like, yeah, undoubtedly Daniel Jones is outstanding. But I, eh, like... I wonder how Giants... I would love, love to hear from a Giants fan. How do you feel about Daniel Jones? Is he your quarterback of the future? I... I do you want him to be? Like, I, he's a duct tape quarterback. I think he's good enough for now. And I keep hoping he's going to develop. But I've been saying that for years. And I know it's only year one with Brian Dable. But I'm in a weird state of mind when it comes to Daniel Jones. I just... I really don't know how to feel about the guy. And I almost wonder if that's the answer right there. Because if he was truly outstanding, I would I would feel great about him. And I just, I don't. And I wish I did, but I don't. Now, I got to talk about Dallas here. Because one thing we learned in this football game is that if you want to beat Dallas, you have to avoid third and long. Their defensive front is way too good to get behind the sticks. If you aren't good on first and second down and you're in third and 10 or third and 11, that's a problem. And, you know... The, the Cowboys get pressure way too easily in third and long situations. It'll just ruin your game. And you're not going to succeed against Dallas if you're not successful in first and second down. So you got to be careful with your play call. You can't. There were times where the Giants would call two runs in a row. The first one would get stuffed. The second one would lose yards. And I'm like, well, that's a whole wasted possession. Now it's third and 11. You're not going to convert this. And, you know, Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott was 21 for 30 passing in this football game. He had 261 yards. The two early interceptions were not great, but he finished with two touchdowns. And Michael Gallup had a bunch of really big-time catches where he goes up and gets the football, and he's a physical, impressive receiver. He had five catches for 63 yards. CeeDee Lamb had six catches for 106 yards. Uh, he had a sick one-handed catch along the sideline. Uh, you know, a big question right now in Dallas is, are they going to sign Odell Beckham Jr.? Because him going to Dallas makes a lot of sense on paper. You know, the Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, would probably pay him more than anybody else in the NFL. Jerry Jones is an emotional decision maker who is desperate to win. He'll do anything it takes. I think he thinks they're close to his Super Bowl, which i he's probably not entirely wrong. They've certainly got a good squad in Dallas. There's no state income tax, so, you know, with no state income tax... His money's going to go a lot farther. Odell's money would. 
because he's played in New York and LA. And I, I would just imagine, Hey, a paycheck in, cause I, I live in the state of Washington and a paycheck with no state income tax is amazing. Um, the Cowboys are now eight and three, which means they're probably a Super Bowl contender. They've had some impressive wins, and I, I just really think that um, it, it's more than likely now. In fact, I, I worry that by the time this episode comes out, we might have already found out that Odell Beckham Jr. is going to Dallas. Keep your eye on that. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I, I think it would be really fun for him to go to a team that used to play twice a year and be a receiver for them. Uh, now, the Giants had opportunities to win this football game. They had two interceptions in the first half, which doing that with backups in their secondary is really impressive. It's a big break, and the Giants couldn't capitalize on that. The fourth and one incomplete pass was a killer. You only had 10 guys on the field. You got Saquon Barkley open. You don't hit him. That's a problem. Too many third and long situations in the second half. I mean, the Giants could have won this game, I think, but... Um, you know, the Cowboys first half was really concerning. And I, I wonder here, did Dallas allow the Giants to hang around? Or like, I, I'm not really sure what to make of what, what's the real Cowboys here? Is there is because they're so inconsistent. I mean, I just the Cowboys played way better in the second half. And that's great. And I know that Dallas at their very best can beat anybody in the NFL. But again, Dallas has been. So inconsistent uh, this year, and it's been up and down, and they're 8-3. and three. They're having a great year, but there have been moments where I'm just like, what? And that's coaching to me. So it was a good win. They were better in the second half. The reason why I would believe Dallas is a contender, though, I'm not real great. I'm not that excited about the coach, Mike McCarthy. Dak Prescott is really good. Like, the best of Dak is incredible, but he's got a lot of bad moments. However, the Cowboys' defensive line is terrifying. That's a defensive line worthy of winning a Super Bowl. And Dak is certainly good enough to win a Super Bowl. Like you, On the list of quarterbacks, there's not very many that I go, um, this guy has no capacity to win a Super Bowl. Dak is certainly in the definitely good enough to win a Super Bowl category. And I think that defensive line makes them contenders absolutely. So I love the Cowboys' um, chances this year. I, the more I watch them, the more I just – I think that defensive line is going to take them a long, long way the worst news you could possibly get is if Micah Parsons got hurt at some point because, I mean, man, he is just really wreaking havoc on offensive lines. And I want to say one more thing. You know, the, I love, love, love the Cowboys Thanksgiving uniforms. They're so cool. They're better than their regular jerseys. You've got the blue jersey, the white helmet with the star, the white shoulder stripe. I love it. And uh, shout out to the Cowboys Thanksgiving jerseys. I wish they wore them all the time. I know they don't because I want to make it special. I think I'm not really sure, but... Um, I know that when I use the Cowboys in Madden, I always use their Thanksgiving jerseys. They look so cool, and I wish they wore them all the time. The first game on Thanksgiving was Buffalo against Detroit. It was actually a really good game. Uh, Detroit had a lead in the fourth quarter, but Buffalo won the last second field goal. The Bills beat Detroit 28-25. to And the Bills' trip to Detroit was a great one all around. They, you know, they played two games in a row there. They played on Sunday against Cleveland, and then they played on Thursday against Detroit. In the span of four days, you get two wins in a city that's not your home city, Detroit. And Buffalo, by the way, was really gracious to the Lions and the organization. They sent them, you know, Tim Hortons and donuts uh, to their facility for breakfast once. They donated money to their facility. But I would say it was a very, very happy Thanksgiving for Buffalo. They got the win, two, you know, two wins in four days in a city that's not your own. And kind of a unique situation, good for them. 
And for the Lions, I actually walked away from this Thanksgiving despite the loss. I would say it was a very encouraging uh, game for the Lions. The Bills are one of the Super Bowl favorites, and Detroit really challenged them. I mean, Detroit was really three or four plays away from winning this football game. And when you consider the fact that Detroit was missing two offensive linemen, both of their starting guards did not play, they were hurt. And there were a couple missed opportunities. I mean, Jared Goff threw a really perfect back shoulder ball to DeAndre Swift. Perfect throw that was dropped. It could have been a touchdown. Uh, You know, the Lions went on to miss a short 29-yard field goal on that drive. That's the difference in the game, by the way. Jamal Williams had a fumble. That's not good. One drive was killed by the offensive line where Vaughn Miller just beat the right tackle really badly and got pressure on Jared Goff. Uh, Detroit gave up a safety where Jared Goff got sacked in his own end zone. I didn't think it was a great play call. It was third and 15. They call it a straight drop back pass. It was longer developing. And I think when you are playing a really good defensive line, you're backed up in your own end zone and you're missing two of your starting offensive linemen, you don't make that play call. You get the ball out of Jared Goff's hands quickly rather than having him hold on to the ball. I thought Jared Goff had a really good game other than there were two plays. He had one play where he was lucky. A ball didn't get picked off. He was trying to avoid a sack. He got rid of the a ball, trying to find a check down in the left flat. It was actually in the hands of, of a defender, but his receiver knocked it out of a defender's hands. But by far the worst play, and really the only standout play that sits in my head, and I go, oh, Jared Goff. Because for most of the game, I, I don't think you could blame Jared Goff for the Lions' lack of success. The times they didn't score, the, the very few times, by the way, where they had a three and out or a fumble. Like, a lot of the stuff wasn't Jared Goff's fault. But this one play... It was third and one. The Lions were down three with 32 seconds left. Jared Goff at DJ Chark open deep. Not only did Jared Goff throw a bad ball at DJ Chark, who was, he missed him open. It should have been a completed pass for like a huge gain. But also, because Buffalo all out blitzed, there was one-on-one coverage everywhere. And there was way more than one receiver open. DJ Chark was not Jared Goff's only option. He had an underneath route wide open right in front of him. Didn't throw there. And I just, this play was all around poor execution by Jared Goff. It's a bad throw downfield. He had other options that were closer. There would have been easier completions that he didn't throw to. They were open, by the way. Really, just a bad time to have your worst play of the game is on third and one with 32 seconds left down three points. They did kick a field goal. They tied it up. Now, all that said, the game was tied 25-25 with 23 seconds left. The Lions made it a game. And then, unfortunately for them, Josh Allen happened. Josh Allen got the ball on his own 25-yard line, 23 seconds left in the game, three timeouts. And on the first play of this drive, Josh Allen throws a laser beam down the middle of the field right to Stephon Diggs. It flipped the field in one play. Already in one play, the Bills were in field goal range. Buffalo ended up going 48 yards in 21 seconds. Three plays, ban the kick a field goal. Game is over. The Bills won 28-25. And I just thought it was a really, really impressive game-winning drive for Josh Allen. Josh Allen really is everything I always hoped that Cam Newton would eventually become. You got to realize, Josh Allen ran for 78 yards and a touchdown in this football game. Josh Allen as a runner is so, so dangerous. It's the most underrated part of his game. There was this play where Josh Allen had a touchdown run on a broken play where he turned a mess. There was a fumbled snap. He turned it into a touchdown. He made a linebacker miss. Uh, It's going to be a rough day of film for Lions linebacker Alex Anzalone. He got badly juked out. 
And Josh Allen turned a play that should have been a loss or, or maybe a throwaway into a touchdown. And that's just stuff that you don't see very often. It's, it's why I, I love Josh Allen. But also, he, we talk about his arm and the impressive throws he makes, but Josh Allen's ability to run is what, if I was a defense, I'd be terrified of because he's so big. Clearly, linebackers can't tackle him. Go watch that touchdown against Detroit. He made Alex Anzalone look silly. He's big like Derrick Henry. He can throw like Brett Favre. Make any throw he wants. It's ridiculous. And by the way, everyone talks about Bill's receiver, Stefan Diggs. And for good reason. He's our number one receiver. He's outstanding. But I want to give some respect to Isaiah McKenzie and Gabriel Davis. They deserve recognition too. They're the other receivers in Buffalo. And they get a lot of good matchups when Stefan Diggs gets double teamed. In this game, Isaiah McKenzie, for example, had six catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie do not get the recognition they deserve nationally. And they're a big part of why the Bills are so successful. Now, I want to repeat this, though, because I feel really good today about the Detroit Lions. You know, they were three or four plays away from beating Buffalo. That's a big deal to me. They're making progress. You know, before this game, Detroit won three straight games. You know, I, I think that's kind of a statement. They're making progress under Dan Campbell, their head coach. Amon Ross St. Brown had nine catches for 122 yards and a touchdown. And then on top of that, they've got a really good receiving threat, Amon Ross St. Brown. They're also adding first-round receiver Jamison Williams, a guy who tore his ACL in college at Alabama during the national title game last year. He's been recovering all year, hasn't played and I'm glad Detroit, by the way, has been patient. They've been in no hurry with Jameis, uh, Jameson Williams. They're letting him fully heal. But, man, a team that was three or four plays away from maybe beating Buffalo is about to get better. And, by the way, they did that missing starters on their offensive line. I just, it's really exciting. I know that Jared Goff, he gets a lot of hate. A lot of people doubt him. But he had zero turnovers in this football game. He had one misread in that third and one. It's a terrible time for your worst play of the game. But I, I just think that the Lions are, Jared Goff is our quarterback, and I really think that losing in a weird way actually helps the Lions because it gets them a better draft pick. They are not going to be in position to draft a quarterback like Bryce Young or anyone who can make a, a better impact than Jared Goff. But right now, Chicago and Detroit are in kind of this weird situation where I want to see them make progress and compete, but actually every time the Lions and Chicago lose, it helps them get a better player in the draft. And so they really can't lose, in my opinion. I just, I look at Detroit right now, if you're a Lions fan, losing helps you, but your team is competitive. I feel better about next year. You're making progress under Dan Campbell. I, I think if you're a Lions fan, it's painful to lose, I know, but you're used to it. You can handle it. And I, I think this Lions team is really making progress. They're very competitive. And I'm just begging, the, I've said this many times, I really hope the Lions organization remains patient with Dan Campbell. They have had a history of right when it feels like a coach is starting to make progress, they fire the guy and move on. Jim Caldwell is the ultimate example a couple years ago with Matthew Stafford. And I, I really hope that the Lions allow this Dan Campbell head coaching situation to fully, fully play out. Because I really think they're doing good stuff in Detroit and Every time I watch this Lions team, I see a really competitive, interesting, exciting young team that's making progress. And that makes me feel really, really good for the future of the Lions franchise.
All right. Um, this weekend is a massive, massive weekend in the football world. You've got college, you've got the NFL, it's Thanksgiving, plus it's rivalry weekend. Now, the number one game this weekend by far is a college game. It's number three, Michigan, at number two, Ohio State. I expect Ohio State to win here. Both teams are 11-0. Michigan has been, in my opinion, very unconvincing recently. Now, they barely beat Illinois this week. Um, I, I don't know that Michigan really has a shot to win this football game. But it's still intriguing. It's two top four teams in college football. You know, I, I would be shocked, but I, I always am hoping for an upset or something interesting. And I, I don't know. Like, you know, it's Jim Harbaugh who's been doubted a bunch. I don't give Michigan a real shot to beat Ohio State. I'll say that now. But I'd love to be proven wrong. And it's the game I've been looking forward to for weeks between Michigan and Ohio State. But I just, I have a hard time believing Michigan is going to go on the road against a, I think, a better Ohio State team and beat Ohio State in Columbus. Uh, now, it's rivalry weekend in college football. That means there's been a couple of games on Friday. I saw, um, you know, Texas beat Baylor 38-27. to NC State and UNC are playing each other right now at UNC, who, by the way, is the 17th-ranked team in the nation. Florida's playing at Florida State. Florida State is the 16th-ranked team in the nation. By the way, in that Texas game, Bijan Robinson ran for 179 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, but tomorrow is going to be a really fun day in college football. You got South Carolina at number eight, Clemson. Clemson, in my opinion, is kind of weak at quarterback. South Carolina is coming off of this incredible win. They just beat Tennessee 63 to 38 last weekend. I think there's a lot of potential for fun there. Clemson is the favorite. They're 10 and one. But I, I would love to see an upset between South Carolina and. Clemson. Ohio State plays at TCU. The number 14 ranked team in the country is TCU. They're 11 and 0. TCU, if they they want to make the college football playoff, and if they win out, they will. But can TCU really remain undefeated the rest of the year? Number five, LSU plays at Texas A&M. I think that's very interesting. If LSU wins, they'll be 10 and 2. Uh, they are already scheduled to go to the SEC title game against Georgia. And if LSU can pull off the upset in that SEC title game and beat Georgia, they definitely have a shot at the college football playoff. Uh, number 15 ranked Notre Dame plays at number six, USC. USC has a quarterback, Caleb Williams, who a lot of people say might be the Heisman Trophy winner this year. USC is 10-1. and one. They've got a really small chance at making the college football playoff. They have, they have a shot if they win out. Uh, and it'd be better if they were undefeated, but there's a chance here. There's also a lot of really fun in-state rivalry games this weekend. you got number 9 Oregon at number 21 Oregon State. That'll be a big game. Number 13 Washington, UW at Washington State. I love the quarterback at Washington State, Cam Ward. I've talked about him a lot. Uh, also, Washington, the University of Washington in Seattle, they've got college football's leading passer, Michael Penix Jr. So, uh, you know, I... I really anticipate this game being a fun offensive battle. I remember a couple weeks ago I was talking about Washington against Oregon being exciting. That game was incredible. And now I think we're going to see another one with Washington at Washington State. In Kentucky, you've got number 25 Louisville at Kentucky. That's a big game for Kentucky fans, just sports fans in general that live in the state of Kentucky. In Kansas, you've got Kansas at number 12 K-State. In Alabama, you've got the Iron Bowl. That's Auburn at number 7 Alabama. I don't, you know, normally the Iron Bowl is incredible. This year, Auburn's pretty bad, and Alabama's out of the 
contention. So I'm not that interested, really, uh, if I'm totally honest in that one. But I, if it's close, I'll, I'll pay attention to it. And then in the NFL, we've got a lot of really, really great storylines this weekend. First of all, there were three quarterback changes made this week. Uh, Sam Darnold, the starting quarterback for Carolina this weekend. Uh, P.J. Walker got hurt. Baker got benched. The Broncos are playing Carolina, and I'm really, really interested to see how Sam Darnold does. First time playing all year for the Carolina Panthers. Houston benched their quarterback, Davis Mills. They're starting Kyle Allen instead of Davis Mills against Miami. The storyline in Houston this year was, can Davis Mills play well enough to convince Houston to not draft a quarterback? And the answer is, no, he couldn't. Right now, Houston currently has the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. They are more than likely going to get Bryce Young, the quarterback out of Alabama. And uh, Davis Mills couldn't even keep his job all year in Houston. There's a massive storyline in the NFL this week. The Jets have benched their quarterback, Zach Wilson. Uh, He played really bad against the Patriots. Then in the media, he failed to take accountability for the loss. And it was a really bad look. I think now he's on the bench because of more what he said in postgame rather than the way he played on the field. I'm sure they weren't happy with how he played on the field, but if Zach Wilson had said after the game, man, I got to be better. I, I made too many mistakes out of this, out of that, but he wasn't accountable, and I think that really hurt him, and he lost the respect of the locker room. So as a result, because Zach Wilson isn't playing, the Bears are going to have, you know, Bears at Jets is going to be Justin Fields playing quarterback for Chicago against Mike White as the Jets quarterback. That's interesting to me. Um... Falcons at Washington, the Commanders is interesting because Washington named Taylor Heineke their quarterback permanently for the rest of the year. Washington is 6-5, and 7-5 and five would be massive for them. Right now, because of how good their division is, they're actually 6-5 and five and last in their division. So a win here would be a really big deal to help Washington uh, as they try to make a playoff push. Monday night football is Pittsburgh at Indy. Steelers quarterback is uh, rookie Kenny Pickett. He's done some good stuff this year. I really like watching Kenny Pickett. A lot of people are doubting Kenny Pickett or really hard on him. I've been preaching patience and saying he's doing some good stuff, and I really believe that. I like watching Kenny Pickett. That'll be fun on Monday night. Uh, On the other side of the field, you got an interim head coach, Jeff Saturday, coaching for the Colts. I find him fascinating. I mean, three weeks ago, he was actually working for ESPN. He's going to be broadcasting this game on Monday night. So far... Jeff Saturday is 1-1 one one as a head coach since joining the team from ESPN. And, uh, I mean, the Colts are actually playing pretty well under Jeff Saturday. They almost beat Philly this past weekend, and um, I'm really fascinated to see what Indy can do against Pittsburgh. Sunday night football is going to be one. Uh, it's Packers at Philly. Philly's 9-1. And, and when I say it's going to be a tough one for Green Bay, um, their quarterback Aaron Rodgers has a broken right thumb. And I, he says that it doesn't affect him at all. I can't imagine that at all. Having a broken right thumb on your throwing hand, I, I couldn't even grip a football with a broken thumb. So I, I can't fathom how he's doing that. Uh, there is a storyline. Packers rookie receiver Christian Watson has five touchdowns in the last two games. Uh, two and then three. I am really, really curious to see if Christian Watson can keep scoring and uh, keep his productivity as high as it's been the last two weeks. Is it a fluke, or is he just turning a corner and playing really well? And by the way, he could play really well and not score touchdowns, so I'm not going to judge him based solely on his touchdowns, but um, I'm really fascinated to see how Christian Watson does on Sunday night. Tampa plays at Cleveland. It's worth noting that 
Tom Brady and Tampa, they're 2-0 since Tom Brady got divorced. Can single Brady go 3-0? Interesting storyline there. And then you got two Tankathon games. Uh, Tankathon.com is a really great website I like because they keep track of the current draft order. Not a sponsorship or anything, but right now, um, the Saints' first-round pick belongs to Philly. And the New Orleans Saints are playing the 49ers. They're probably going to lose. So currently, the Saints have the number 10 overall pick. That could get you know, go even higher if the Saints lose. And the Rams play Kansas City. Currently, the Rams have the number six overall pick. Their pick was traded to the Lions for Jared, you know, with Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford. So the Lions and Eagles are going to benefit if the Rams and the Saints lose this weekend. So it's worth keeping track of how the Saints do and how the Rams do because every time they lose, Philly gets a better draft position and so do the Lions. I, I love that thought. I mean... You know, when I talk about the Lions are probably not going to be in a position to get a top quarterback in the draft, I do maybe overlook the fact they're going to have potentially a top five pick from the Rams and their own first round draft pick. You could potentially bundle them to move up in the draft and go get a really talented quarterback. I don't know who that is. I think the best quarterback in the draft by far is Bryce Young. If you're not getting Bryce Young, I don't know what you're doing at the top of the draft because I don't know that there is truly a great number two. People say CJ Stroud is awesome. Is C.J. Stroud going to be immediately a quarterback who's going to give you a better shot to win than Jared Goff? I'm not sure. Maybe that's for them to decide and for decisions to be made later. But it's very possible that the Lions could package their two first-round picks to go get a quarterback like C.J. Stroud, the quarterback out of Ohio State. Um, although maybe, maybe Houston makes a mistake and they pass on Bryce Young. Can you imagine if they drafted C.J. Stroud first overall and Bryce Young fell in the draft? Like, I, I would be... I just can't imagine anyone not believing Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this draft class. But, you know, crazier things have happened. So keep your eye on what's happening in the Tankathon games. Do the Rams lose and do the Saints lose this weekend? Let's end the show today with questions from Patreon. If you want to submit questions to the show, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. A dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. Uh, by the way, you can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally does pay for my existence here on planet Earth. Um, but I, I hate doing a spiel. I'm very tired. If you want to write into the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schombler. Nate writes in first today. Nate says, Zach, are you watching any World Cup? Uh, well, my girlfriend's British. She loves soccer. Uh, I always joke with her family. You know, like at a Super Bowl party where your friend's mom or your friend's girlfriend doesn't know football very well and she asks kind of annoying questions. Or maybe it's your uncle. Who knows? But there's there's always someone at a party who doesn't know football very well. And they ask these like annoying questions like, you know, does every team wear purple or just Minnesota? Stuff like that. And I always worry that's me with soccer. Like I hang out with my friends and they're watching soccer and I'm like, I know, like, the rules generally, but, you know, I, I thought England wears red and they're wearing blue today. They're wearing white and blue. I thought they were white and red. I don't know. Um, I watched the last 20 minutes of the England against USA match today. They tied 0-0. And, look, outcomes in soccer are fun. Any Anytime you talk about the outcomes of one thing, it's, it's interesting to me. I like that kind of stuff. And, sure, there are good moments in soccer, like cool moments where there's a good goal or... 
there's tension. I, I get all that. But the moment-to-moment action in soccer is so much less interesting to me than American football. Um, I just think there are fewer opportunities for good drama in soccer, to be totally honest. And it's just wild to me. Like, I understand why the world loves soccer because it's so accessible. You just need a ball. Literally, that's it. And, you know, if you're trying to play football, it's really complicated. There's a lot of gear you need and a lot of stuff and help. And um, I know it's much more complicated than a game like soccer, but I just think soccer to me, moment to moment, is boring as hell. I mean, go watch the USA-England game and tell me that's not a really boring soccer match. Um, And I... uh, I don't know. I, I actually, I know that what happened today with the USA tying England is supposed to be a big deal because, whoa, if people were talking about how many goals is England going to win by, and instead we saw the USA challenge them and tie. But it's like a zero to zero tie where like by the end of the game, it looks like, you know, they don't even think they have a chance and they're kind of just, they're exhausted. I'm like, ah, I don't care at all. This is so boring. Like I, I would much rather watch football than soccer every day of the week. And, um, I'm sure that part of the experience with soccer is, I mean, I've worked at, I've filmed MLS games and done, you know, camera work for that kind of stuff. And I I know that part of it is the actual experience of being there and being a part of the crowd and the chanting. But um, Zach's not a soccer guy at all. Like, I just, I'm not that interested. I think Qatar is not great. Um, I know there's other parts of the world that are also bad that we should focus on that we ignore. But the spotlight's on Qatar and it's, it's like, ooh. Who built those stadiums? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Jonah writes in. Jonah says, I know the Cardinals were missing Kyler Murray last night. This is about Monday Night Football. But it seems like Cliff Kingsbury is not making the second half adjustments that he needs to keep his team in games. Is there something obvious you need to see uh, to change? Or is it time for Arizona to move on to a new head coach? Um, I just want to use this moment to say I maintain the fact that Cliff Kingsbury should be fired. In Arizona, I am desperately hoping that the Arizona Cardinals will hire Eric Bieniemy, the head coach, uh, to be their head coach. And and he's a, right now, Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator in Kansas City, working with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid has an amazing coaching tree. A lot of guys that have worked under him have become not only good head coaches, but even Super Bowl winning head coaches. And I, I, I can't believe that somehow Cliff Kingsbury still has a job in Arizona when there's just a guy out there like Eric Bieniemy who so clearly is more qualified and uh, probably better prepared to be a good head coach uh, in Arizona. Zach writes in, not me, Zach, but a Zach who spells his name with an H, Z-A-C-H. My name is Z-A-C. Zach writes in and says, Zach, the AFC West seems to not be living up to the preseason hype that everyone had. I think it boils down to the Chargers, Raiders, and Denver not having great coaching. Brandon Staley seems to be the best of the three, but he still makes decisions that don't make sense. What do you think uh, do three of the four AFC West teams need to consider looking for new coaches? Um, Look, the Raiders can't afford to fire Josh McDaniel, to be totally honest. Like, literally, they don't have the money to do that. So that's already off the table. Denver, I think, does need a head coach. Like, Nathaniel Hackett is awful. I don't know who they hire. I wouldn't want to work with Russell Wilson if I was totally honest, but Nathaniel Hackett is not the answer in Denver, and uh, I think he'll be gently dismissed after the year is over. The Chargers, though, are a team that is so massively underachieving. They're 5-5 five and five right now. They got a great roster. Like, they have every reason to be 
one of the best teams, if not like the number one seed right now in the AFC, and they're not at all. And I like Brandon Staley, their head coach. I respect him. He seems like a good man. But the Chargers got to shell out and go get it. They got to hire Sean Payton, I think. You know, the former Saints head coach who worked with Drew Brees. If they can't get him, go get Eric Bieniemy. Get an offensive coach who can work with Justin Herbert. And, you know, I got nothing against Brandon Staley, man. Seems like a good man. But, and I know there have been injuries in L.A. that are not his fault. But right now, like, you, you can't be 5-5 five and five with the roster that the Chargers have. And to be underachieving at this level, to me, just speaks of uh, a coach that isn't good enough in L.A. And I don't like saying that, by the way. That makes me sad. I like Brandon Staley, but you can't be 5-5 five and five with that roster. All right. Um, <laughs> Isaac writes in and says, Zeke, beside quarterback, what do you think is the hardest position to play in the NFL? Center and corner come to mind, but for me, I was just curious about your thoughts. So first of all, Isaac, my name is Zach, <laughs> not Zeke. And I, I don't really care, right? It's like when you go to Starbucks and pe- they write the wrong name on your cup. Like, I don't care what you call me. Like, I, as long as you kind of generally know who I am, that's fine with me. Um, but, uh, you know, Isaac, my name is Zach, not Zeke. Uh, I think corner is the hardest position to play in the NFL other than quarterback. Um, I just... I feel bad for corners in the NFL. It's an impossible job. You need super athleticism and good technique. The rules are set up for you to fail. If you were any good at ball skills, you played receiver, not corner. So I just I, I just feel bad for corners all around in the NFL. I'm like, I don't know who would want to play that position. It's one they just, you know, you get a lot of scrutiny. People are expecting you to, like, there's so many opportunities for you to screw up and look bad. And I would not wish that on anyone to play corner in the NFL because it's a... A really, really brutal position that, again, I think they set you up to fail in the NFL playing corner. Phoenix writes in. Phoenix says, Hi, Zach. Hope all is going well. I have a funny random story. I'm currently training for a new position at work, and the main character of these for everything has the name Zach. Um, not Zach, but Z-A-C-K. And at the end of each segment, he's got a little video that he calls Zach Attack, which is totally random, but I thought a bit funny. Anyway, I'm a longtime Pittsburgh fan. And just curious of what you thought of us drafting Bryce Young this draft. Kenny Pickett is still young and has shown a lot of potential. And it's definitely better than the stats indicate. Personally, I blame Matt Canada. He's just not a good offensive coordinator. But currently we're on pace to be one of the worst teams in the league. If we had a chance, which is definitely possible this draft, should we draft Bryce Young and possibly trade Kenny Pickett? I'm not totally opposed, but if we do, I think we definitely need to get rid of Matt Canada and get him someone that can actually maximize his talent. Um, look, if the Steelers get the number one overall pick, I would support them drafting Bryce Young. Absolutely. I think Bryce Young is one of the best quarterback prospects in a while. I think a better prospect than Kenny Pickett. But they're not going to get the number one overall pick. Currently, the Steelers are 3-7. and seven. They have the number nine overall pick if the draft started today. And I don't see them falling nine spots to the top of the draft. It's just not going to happen. And I, I can't fathom a world where Bryce Young falls to anywhere other than the number one overall pick. Uh, so what I would do is, Kenny Pickett's doing a lot of great stuff. Support him. Build around him. I believe in Kenny Pickett. He's got good habits. He's a good leader. I think you got to just be patient. He's, he's still learning, but he's doing good stuff. And I think you draft around Kenny Pickett and support him rather than have conversations about, should we move on from the guy? He's not Josh Rosen, and this is not the Arizona Cardinals when they drafted Kyler Murray. 
The only reason you should even entertain this conversation is if somehow Pittsburgh ends up with a number one overall pick in this upcoming NFL draft. Ben writes in. Ben says, hey, Zach, wishing you the best on your travels. I appreciate the work you've been putting in. It's been a while since I've posted on here, but I wanted to ask since I know you enjoy movies. I also asked you this last year. What has been your favorite movie of 2020? So far for me, personally, everything, everywhere, all at once has been up there for me since it released. But nope. And the Batman are very close as well. I'm also looking forward to the new Avatar movie and the new Knives Out movie both this December. Lastly, a football-related question. I'm also a Texas alumni. Do you think B. John Robinson should declare for the upcoming draft or stay one more year with Quinn Ewers at Texas? I think one more year could be good at Texas's prospects of pursuing a national title with a hopefully improved Quinn Ewers, but I acknowledge that running back is a position most vulnerable to injury, which could affect his draft stock if he decides to stay one more year. Thank you for your time, and I appreciate you, Ben. Um, dude, the Batmobile scene in The Batman was unbelievable. Uh, that said, the two movies that have made me feel the most this year have been Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. That's probably my new favorite, uh, at least this year. It's, it's like a new top three movie for me all time. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once made me cry, like hard cry. But also good tears, whereas like Black Panther made me cry um, sad tears that were not pleasant. Uh, both reminded me of my brother, but Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is an incredible movie. Probably my favorite movie of the year so far. As far as Bijan Robinson, the Texas running back, he had, again, today, 179 yards and two touchdowns against Baylor. Bijan Robinson should declare for the NFL draft absolutely after this year. Running backs are kind of like cars. There's only so much mileage before they can't run anymore. And if you're B. John Robinson, I think you go to the NFL, you're probably a second-round pick, and you want to get paid as much money as you possibly can while your career is still viable. But you play a position running back that is so unvalued in today's world, football world, and uh, you want to just cash out while you can and make as much money as humanly possible. Uh, Imhotep says, Hey, Zach, one of the creators I respect a lot, Brett Coleman, has been the leader of the Cordell Patterson for Hall of Fame train for a while now. My question is now, uh, now that he is all the, now that he is the all-time leader in kick returns, what do you think about this case? Uh, I just watched the last episode. You're really close on my name, by the way. Uh, but the beginning is M, like the beginning of the word important. Hope that helps a lot. Thank you, Imitzep. Um I, I agree with Brett Coleman wholeheartedly. Imitz, uh, Cordell Patterson. Corderell. Corderell? Is it Corderell or Cordell? I think it's Corderell Patterson. He's the all-time leader in kick returns uh, touchdowns. Definitely, to me, that's worthy of the Hall of Fame. If you're an all-time leader in a statistical category, sacks, catches, receptions, whatever, I guess catches and receptions are the same thing, um, I think you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And he is an all-time great kick returner and has a record seven, sorry, sorry, nine. He has nine kick returns for a touchdown. That's a record that probably is never going to get broken because kickoff returns are so rare in general now because of the new rules and the way kickoffs work that I can't imagine another guy getting more than nine kick return touchdowns in their career. And by the way, he's not done. He could get another one before his career is over. So to me, Corderell Patterson deserves Hall of Fame recognition because you cannot ignore special teams. It's part of the game. And he's the all-time leader in a really cool category, which is kickoff return touchdowns. To me, that's definitely a Hall of Famer right there. 
Zachariah writes in and says, Hey Zach, the Browns defense has been one of the worst this year. That's undeniable. The first three weeks had a couple busted coverages each game, but the two turning point was the Atlanta game. The Falcons ran the ball 14 times in a row, I believe, and the Browns could not stomp it at all. This carried over into the rest of the game so far, as the last seven games have led to four of our opponents' best rushing totals of the year. Atlanta 202, the Chargers 238, Miami 195, Buffalo 171 if you only count regulation. Can we stop talking about every running back that plays against the Browns as if they're a breakout candidate or a top five running back and just call it what it is? Any running back can get 100 yards on the Browns if they have enough attempts. No question, really. Just wanted to complain about the media coverage, ignoring the real problem. See how we freak out about yards, like Jeff Wilson for Miami, for example, had over 100 yards in his first game. People are like, oh my gosh, it's like, well, he's playing the Browns. But, um, Zachary, thank you for your complaint. I want to say, use my show to air your grievances. I love that. I will say, though, the Browns are not bottom five in rushing yards allowed. You know, Houston and Detroit by far have the worst run defenses in the NFL, followed by the third worst, which is the L.A. Chargers. Um, the Browns are only 24th worst in in the ability to stop the run it could be way worse at least and so um i hear you and maybe part of why the browns aren't as good is because they're also not great at stopping the pass i'm not really sure but um i i think zachariah you're a frustrated browns fan but from a national perspective they're not that terrible they don't appear that terrible at least to most people davis writes in davis says one second how many do we have left we got a while left Okay. Davis says, Zach, you preach patience for quarterbacks in their first years. Do you apply the same mentality when it comes to head coaches or even struggling coaches like Josh McDaniels or Nathaniel Hackett? Or should their team stick it out for a few more years? So coaching quarterback Davis is totally different to me. Um, A young quarterback is new to the NFL and he can take time to develop and grow. And a coach should not be learning how the NFL works the same way a young quarterback might be. Young quarterback comes from college. He's got a lot of catching up to do. A coach is a player and a figure that so many people are depending on to lead them as a football team. And we've seen so many young coaches in their first year do really well. Mike McDaniel, Kevin O'Connell, Nick Sirianni. I actually have zero head coaches for patience. Again, because... You're supposed to set the tone and lead an entire organization. You got to know what you're doing from day one, whereas a young quarterback who's never played in the NFL before and never been around the NFL before, I totally have patience for them learning and growing. But a coach is someone who is usually hired from within the NFL who who really should um, know the league very, very well and be able to set the tone for everyone else. Jack writes in and says, Hey, Zach, I think you made an accidental mistake in your last podcast. You accidentally accidentally left the 49ers out of your Super Bowl window teams. Remember, they planned their year on Trey Lance only for him to be injured in the second week. They've had to quickly adjust their offensive scheme and definitely suffered because of this. But now, at 6-4, and the 49ers have by far the most talented roster in the NFL. They've got top three players in almost every position on the field. Linebacker, uh, Fred Warner, defensive end, Bosa, tight end Kittle, wide receiver Diego Samuel, running back McCaffrey, Safety in Talanoa Hufunga. And the best left tackle in the league by a margin. Not to mention Brandon Ayuk, Elijah Mitchell, Eric Armstead, etc. I would argue the 49ers have the most talented roster that we've seen in the last five years. 
our lack of an elite quarterback seems to overshadow this when people talk about Super Bowl teams, despite the fact that we've been to the Super Bowl and NFC title game with Jimmy Garoppolo in the last three years. I am hereby giving you the opportunity to fix your accident and put the 49ers in your Super Bowl window. Jack, I wonder if you're a 49er fan. I think you are. I know you are. Um, I appreciate the writing. That's a really good argument. And, you know, you say, like, they've had to... They plan their season around Trey Lance only for him to be hurt in the second week. But it's not like they've never played with Jimmy Garoppolo before. It'd be one thing if... I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo was their starting quarterback last year. Like, yeah, they had to adjust for, to Jimmy Garoppolo and change their plan a little bit. But it's not like they didn't know how to game plan with Jimmy Garoppolo at all. They've done it for years now. Uh, so you kind of you kind of play both. They're like, well, we've won with him in the past, but also we're just figuring out how to work with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like, which one is it? But I'll, I'll let that slide. The 49ers are not going to beat Kansas City or Buffalo or Miami in the Super Bowl. It's not going to happen. But they could get to the Super Bowl. Um, I just, I think this hinges on the fact that I believe Jimmy Garoppolo is a limiting factor. I think you could beat Minnesota or Philadelphia and get to the Super Bowl. Um, and I'd love to see the 49ers change my mind and prove me wrong. But I just don't see a world where Jimmy Garoppolo... Um, wins a Super Bowl with the 49ers. But again, prove me wrong. I'd, I'd love to see that happen. I, I like Jimmy G, Jimmy G. Like, he's awesome. He's got confidence and swagger and seems like a cool guy that people like. Um, and it'd be certainly... Can you imagine, right? They draft Trey Lance. He gets hurt. They go back to their former starting quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, and then Jimmy Garoppolo leads them to a Super Bowl. What do you do next year? <laughs> do you go back to Trey Lance or you got to stick with Jimmy G, right? Like, I don't know. So... The part of me that loves chaos is very much rooting for Jimmy Garoppolo to win a Super Bowl in San Francisco because then you would think they couldn't go back to Trey Lance, right? So I, I hope Jimmy G wins a Super Bowl. I just don't think that he will. ENK writes in and says this, um, Zach, has your opinion on Jimmy Garoppolo changed at all this year? Sure, he's not the most talented and has the bad habit of making at least one stupid throw a game. But I think there is something to be said about his leadership. During the entire offseason, he was being replaced, and we didn't hear him complain about it once. He came back to San Francisco on a team-friendly deal and has made the most of his decision. I think that the cheap deal, 10 to $15 million a year, would be good for San Francisco moving forward. I also think at this point I'd rather have Jimmy G at this point than Kyler Murray for $45 million a year. How say you? Um, there's a lot to be said here. First of all, two quarterbacks lost their job this offseason. Baker Mayfield lost his job to Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. And Jimmy Garoppolo lost his job to Trey Lance. Baker Mayfield threw a fit. He burned bridges. He was angry. He called people out and got traded away. Jimmy Garoppolo wanted a trade. He admitted that. He said that openly. But he didn't throw a fit. And he was mature about it and handled it, I think, in a very adult way. And he didn't burn a bridge. Jimmy Garoppolo made it clear, I want to be traded away. But he also didn't destroy his relationship with the 49ers. So when the 49ers needed him, they still had a good relationship. He came back and has done really well. And I think for Jimmy Garoppolo's sake, um, the best thing he could possibly do is stay in the 49ers organization and just show the world what he can do. And Baker Mayfield, I don't think was put in a good situation in Carolina. He probably should have 
you know, kept the relationship steady in Cleveland. If Baker played the first, you know, 11 games in Cleveland this year and played really well and then got benched for Deshaun Watson, not only would people have been really angry at Cleveland for benching a quarterback who's playing well, but also he would have got another opportunity next year somewhere. Baker Mayfield didn't have the maturity to win the PR battle the same way Jimmy Garoppolo did. Now, ENK, I I love what you say here because I would much rather have Jimmy Garoppolo at 10 to $15 million a year than almost any quarterback at $45 million. There's not very many quarterbacks I can think of that I would want to pay $45 million a year. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's the only two. Like, I, I would rather have... Jimmy G at $10 million and almost any quarterback at $45 million. $45 million is an absurd amount of money to pay a quarterback uh, when you got to build a team around them to win. And um, I just, I would much rather have Jimmy G at 10 than anything else because you can really build a great team around Jimmy Garoppolo as they have done in San Francisco. Okay. Balin writes in, it's a really long one. Balin says, Hey Zach, I know this will be almost a week removed from the game happening, but I wanted to give a little context to your comments about the Oregon-Utah game being a boring game. Disclaimer. I am an Oregon fan, and I was at the game, so I have a different interpretation of events. When Bo Nix came on the field, Autzen Stadium went nuts. I know Oregon's offense is much more exciting when Bo Nix is healthy and can run, and I know Utah's offense is more exciting when Cam Rising isn't dealing with setbacks himself. But both of these defenses played incredible games, and the heart showed by Bo Nix was incredible. The energy in Autzen was electric the whole night. In the final home game of the year, it was 26 degrees by the end of the game. So it was cold, it was a home game, it was electric. This game really was a culmination of everything Bo Nix has been showing us all year. Leadership, guts, persistence, and his willingness, and willing his team to victory. Even though, even though, even, sorry, even through the bitter November air, and what I imagine is pretty intense pain. He saved his one and only run on a read option to get the first down to win the game after his running back slid too early and the stadium exploded. It was also the first time Oregon's defense truly came together and played a full game. This is what the Oregon defense is supposed to look like. They only gave up 10 points to Utah. Don't forget, 7 came against the offense on one of the dumbest calls I've seen all year at any level of ball. Sure, the score was low, but it was a cold, gutsy, season-on-the-line November football. And it was cold, gutsy, season-on-the-line November football. And it was one of the best games I've seen at Autzen Stadium because of it. And I was at the 2018 UW overtime victory thriller. With this in mind, think about the game. Has your view of it changed? Thanks to your eyeballs for reading this far. Uh, Balance a long write-in. I did my best to read it. Um, I appreciate the game, Balin. Like, I, and I, I'm sure it meant a lot to you as an Oregon fan. But I just, as a neutral, third-party viewer, I had way more fun watching USC beat UCLA, you know, 45 to 48. So I, I just, you know, the exciting offensive battle is what I wanted. It wasn't what I got between Utah and Oregon. But I, I understand that tension has value. And if you're an Oregon fan, I'm sure that was a really fun, really, really exciting game, as clearly it was for you, Balin. Uh Steve writes in, 
Steve says, hey, Zach's eyeballs, of course. Um, <laughs> no, he says, oh my gosh. Steve says, hey, Zach's balls. I, of course, eyeballs. Um, I don't know. I don't know why you did that, but I like that you did that. It's, it's weird and makes no sense, but I'll read it. And that's fun. Steve says, as an Ohio State fan slash alumni, when I saw Justin Fields throw for six touchdowns in the college football playoff against Clemson, I was all but certain he was going to be a number two overall pick in that, up, in that upcoming draft. However, not terribly long before the draft, a video of Zach Wilson making an insane throw at his pro day went viral, and the Jets seemed like they decided to draft him instead. Even though Fields has been a top quarterback prospect since high school, dominated in college, and just had and had just as impressive a pro day, the Jets ultimately went with Zach Wilson. My questions are, why do you think the Jets ultimately decided to draft Zach Wilson over Justin Fields? Was it the tape, the personality, the arm talent, etc.? How good do you think the Jets would be today and going forward if they had gone with Justin Fields over Zach Wilson? Love both your shows and hope you're enjoying your road trip. We'll have to throw the ball around for sure if you ever swing by Cleveland in your endeavors. I'd love to go to Cleveland and throw, play catch with you. Um... If the Jets could go back in time, they would draft Justin Fields in a heartbeat. Um, I think Justin Fields would have still had learning curves, and I don't know that he would have handled the media any better. He would. So the media in Cleveland is sorry in in Chicago is pretty rough as well as New York, and I think Justin Fields has handled the media better than Zach Wilson has. Um, but that leads me to another question. I got I got three here about Zach Wilson. Nasty writes in and says Zach. I am usually fair towards quarterbacks, even though I'm a defensive-minded guy, and allow them three to four years to grow before becoming harshly critical of them. But I'm about to throw that out the window for Zach Wilson. On Sunday against the Patriots, two yards of total offense and a half is unacceptable, as it is. But refusing to take accountability for it is very immature and puts all the pressure on the head coach and offensive coordinator to take accountability for his mistakes. I think Michael Fleur leaves a little bit to be desired at offensive coordinator. But Zach Wilson is the biggest problem with that offense that could not lead his team to more than two yards and a half. He's not willing to grow or accept responsibility, which is unacceptable for a franchise quarterback and will only divide the locker room further. To say he didn't let the team down is a slap in the face of the defense. Do you think my criticism of Zach Wilson as a bad leader is unfair? Or do you think the expectations of him to hold himself accountable are perfectly reasonable for a second-year quarterback. Personally, I would love to see the Jets acquire Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers this offseason and take that young team on a run with one of them. That's a fun idea. Derek Carr with the Jets. I actually might be a great... <laughs> it's a great idea. Um, look, Zach Wilson should have came out and said the day after that quote. He could have apologized even the next day and said, look, I... I said the wrong thing. I messed up. I, and the the fact that it took Zach Wilson until he got benched to come out and apologize was really stupid. Almost like he waited until he got consequences to acknowledge it. Um, I think he got benched because of a bad quote more than what he put on the field. I, I think the team lost his respect there. Um, maturity nasty by far is the number one problem for Zach Wilson. And, uh, I just, uh, I totally agree. Uh, you know, Steve talked about why did Zach Wilson get drafted over Justin Fields? I think people were, um, doubting Justin Fields ability to throw the football, to be totally honest at an NFL level. Zach Wilson had a lot of talent and I think people thought he had a better arm. 
But we're learning that Justin Fields' ability to run is just incredible. And it gets him out of tricky situations. And Zach Wilson's been hurt. He's been inaccurate. He's been struggling. And he certainly can't run the way Justin Fields can. And I, I think that more and more when you see a guy who's got a special ability to run. Lamar Jackson was not the first quarterback drafted. In fact, he was the fifth quarterback drafted in 2018. Justin Fields was not the first quarterback at all drafted in his draft class. And I just, it's really interesting to me that the guys who've become really successful early on are guys who can run better than anyone else. And uh, I don't know. I, I just, again, the Jets could go back. They would draft Justin Fields. So ETN writes him in the last question about Zach Wilson. ETN says this. Hey, Zach, big Jet fan here. And news just broke that Mike White will be starting for the Jets and that Zach Wilson will not only be heading to the bench, but he will also be inactive and not even back up Mike White. In my opinion, Zach Wilson needed to be benched because of his horrible mechanics at the moment uh, in time, not stepping into throws, not being lined up, relying on his arm more than his body for throws, not throwing with anticipation, and missing wide-open guys. Also, the Jets finally have a legit team around all around, and it would be a disservice to the other 52 men to start a guy who right now is holding the team back. I want to know your reaction and thoughts on Zach Wilson being benched for the time being and what steps you think he could take during the ensuing weeks to improve upon his game, both physically and mentally. Coach Robert Sala said the goal is to get him back on the field at a later point this year. Um, He's really talented, man. I think he just keeps missing small details and comes across as immature. And there's a lot of drama with Zach Wilson. I don't know if you noticed that. His mom, his girlfriend, all this crap. I think that what's happening here is the Jets are sending him a message um, by benching him. It's not really about anything other than we're like, dude, you got to you got to get better. You got to figure it out. Um, I saw a crazy, crazy stat. I want to see if I can find it on my phone. I think I screenshotted it. Zach Wilson has worse numbers than <laughs> Jamarcus Russell, which I, I could not believe. But it's it's true. Um, yeah. So. In the first 20 starts, Jamarcus Russell had 15 touchdown passes and 13 interceptions. And a very similar passer rating. Zach Wilson has more interceptions and fewer touchdown passes than Jamarcus Russell at this point. That's that's crazy to me. And uh, I didn't realize it was that bad. I know Zach Wilson's been struggling and been imperfect, but he's basically had like two games maybe that were great his entire first two years in the NFL. And that's like, that's not enough. I mean, I, I remember that game against Tennessee last year where he had like a crazy throw that was cool. Outside of that, I, I can't even recall a moment where Zach Wilson really was great. And that's really bad. Like, that's that's awful. Especially given the way they've supported him and built the team around him and given him good teammates. So, um what does he need to do better? It, it's He's got to execute better. He's been really undisciplined and really... Um, he's missing easy completions. And I think part of why they're going to go with Mike White is because they know Mike White's not going to do stupid stuff and miss easy throws. And Mike White is a lower ceiling. He's not as talented. But he's not going to miss people wide open in the flat. He's not going to miss easy completions. And right now, that's what the Jets need. They need execution. They need guys who aren't going to miss on easy stuff. And... Um, that's why Zach Wilson got benched. It's it's more them sending him a message, I believe. 
and saying, look, you got to do the little stuff better or we're going we're gonna to move on and get another quarterback. I don't think this is permanent. I think the Jets want Zach Wilson to be their guy. I think Zach Wilson and Robert Sala even like each other. But that quote in the media was a really bad look. And I, I can't believe that he didn't come out the very next day and say, look, I gave a bad quote. I fell back into a corner. I didn't know how to answer that. I, I answered it wrong. There's something there where he can't admit fault in anything. And that's very weird and, and not great. And I think that's the root of all the problems. Is Zach Wilson just can't seem to admit publicly like his struggles. And I, I think he's afraid of the media there. I think he doesn't know how to handle the media in New York very, very well. And that's a massive problem when you're playing in New York. Uh, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm tired. I'm hungry. It's raining. I'm cold. I'm going to go um, upload this and go watch some more football. Oh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving episodes are really hard because my family wants to hang out with me. And I'm like, I got to watch football day. Like It's, it's my, one of the biggest work days of the year for me. There's three games I got to watch uh, on a day where I also try to hang out with family. And it's just, it's crazy and difficult. And I did the best I could. Um, this will come out late Friday night. I'm sorry it didn't come out earlier, but doing everything I can. Love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.